Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Uh, All right. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Cheryl Waldner from the University of Saskatchewan about biosecurity and disease prevention. But before we get started on all that, uh, Cheryl, would you like to introduce yourself and uh, what sort of work you do at the U of S? Thanks for having me. I'm a veterinarian and the Beef Cattle Research Council Research Chair at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon. My focus is on improving health and productivity in Western Canadian beef herds. Uh, But my husband and I also also, uh, operate our own cow-calf herds, so I've got a very personal interest in the research that I'm doing. That's awesome. Um, So... To start us off, what sort of factors affect how susceptible cattle can be to disease? Well, our cattle are remarkably resilient animals. They can still be susceptible to infectious disease caused by viruses, bacteria, and parasites. Some of the factors that can affect their risk for disease include things like age, nutrition, stress, weather, herd size, and management. Um, Some of the common examples of situations we see where we are most likely to have problems are respiratory disease in stressed calves shortly after weaning and scours in very young calves, especially when calving occurs under crowded conditions. So, for example, following a spring snowstorm when the cows cows all crowd up together. With the current drought, um, many of our animals this year could be under even increased stressors due to things like limited forage supplies, um, potentially compromised water quality in some of our dugouts, and in some cases, vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So for example, we see copper and vitamin A deficiencies in drought years that can be worsened by, by water quality and by limited access to green forage. Some of these cows haven't seen a green blade of grass in a very long time. <laughs> right, that makes sense. So on that note, um, I know biosecurity is kind of a a big word and it can mean a lot of different things to different people, but why is it relevant and how is it relevant, I guess, to cow-calf operations? So biosecurity, very basically, is anything that we can do as producers to reduce the risk of infectious disease. We want to prevent the introduction of new diseases into our herd, and we also want to minimize the risk of disease transmission within our herds. So if we've got something, we want to kind of keep it just in the affected animals and not have it spread to the entire herd. It is very critical for the sustainability of the whole livestock industry, not just beef. Gaps in biosecurity have the potential to impact things like animal welfare, animal health, productivity, and in some situations, even human health and food safety. For example, diseases like salmonella that can affect cattle can also affect people. And then finally, in very rare rare and extreme cases, uh, there's the potential to impact international trade. Right. 
just to jump off kind of the, the biosecurity and um, disease susceptibilities, especially since we're in this drought right now, as we mentioned, are there things we can do to help make sure like this year that we're staying on top of disease and that sort of stuff? With the drought that we're experiencing this year, we our options are limited in terms of what we can do to help to protect the health of our cattle. The most important thing we can do is try to optimize nutrition with the tools that we have at hand. So that's going to be things like feed testing, trying to make the very best use of the feed that we have, uh, watching out for things like high nitrate levels in our feed that could further stress and compromise our animals and make them more susceptible to disease, making sure that especially prior to calving that our cows are getting enough trace minerals and vitamins. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that uh, we're supplementing. We, we always want to be cautious about over supplementing uh, trace minerals and vitamins are one of those things where you want the right amount. You don't want too much, you don't want too little. Uh, but being short of vitamin A and some of the research that we've done in previous droughts in Western Canada, for example, has shown higher calf losses um, and calves that are more likely to end up um, sick and with pneumonia. Uh, that's, the, that's certainly some things that we can do relatively easily. Water testing. Um, making sure that the water that we're giving our cattle is, is not too high in total dissolved solids and, and uh, sulfates, such that, again, that it's compromising their trace mineral status and, and, and causing them further stress. So those are examples of some of the things that we need to pay a little bit of extra attention to this year. Yeah, that makes good sense. Um, so what are some other common practices that might fall under, under the biosecurity kind of umbrella, I guess. There's, there's lots of different information on biosecurity online. Uh, what I would recommend is that producers work with their veterinarians to develop a biosecurity plan that's specific for their operation. But I like to talk about four core pillars um, that we find in most biosecurity plans, and they are things that I think most producers can, can relate to. The first is assessment. Um, most biosecurity plans start with a risk assessment, looking carefully at all of the facets of your operation for what can go wrong. Um, if, we, if we don't know what you know, to look for, if we haven't looked for it ahead of time, we, we, we certainly, it's very hard to prevent something that we're, we're not aware of. So having a plan for ongoing assessment on top of that initial assessment is also critical to make sure that if there's any emerging or challenging, uh, changing risks, I should say, that come up that we can identify them as well before they become a serious pro problem. So that's kind of pillar number one is assessment. Pillar number two is looking to improve herd resistance to disease. So this is developing a good vaccination program and it's also looking for opportunities to further enhance the resistance of the animals. So like I talked about before, it's things like optimizing herd nutrition. So a good example of this is younger cows in late gestation, especially heifers and, and second calvers. Um, if we optimize their nutrition, then they're more likely to put a healthy calf on the ground, that they're more likely to have good quality colostrum, and that calf then is going to be in better position to resist disease. 
And we know from local research that we've done in Western Canada that the calves that have more colostrum on board actually do have higher survival rates and lower risks of disease, even above sort of the minimum cutoffs that that that, that is talked that are talked about in the literature. Another example of improving resistance is looking for opportunities to reduce stress in calves at weaning. Uh, that can make a huge difference in their capacity to fight infectious disease. The third pillar is isolation. We want to look for opportunities to reduce exposure to other herds by carefully examining our herd replacement practices, where our uh, new cattle coming from, um, our use of communal grazing, fence line contact with other herds, and especially those unplanned visits of your cattle to the neighbors or the neighbors bull to your cows. Uh, we want to isolate very high risk situations with our own, within our own herds as well. So do you have a pen or pens that you can use to isolate sick cattle or newly arrived animals? Um, are dead stock removed as quickly as possible to minimize any potential contact with other animals or even access by predators? Um, and then under this pillow, we also include ideas like testing and culling animals for diseases that we want to eliminate for our, from our herds. Things like trichomoniasis in bulls and Yoni's disease in cows. The fourth pillar um, under this idea of biosecurity is traffic control. Here we're looking at controlling movements of visitors, vehicles, and to the extent possible, pests and wildlife on our operation. And I realize in a lot of cases, there's not a lot we can do about that. Um, but we also need to really look closely at managing the movement of animals, equipment, and people within our operations, not just things coming in from outside, but what's happening inside of our operation. So that if we do have a problem within our operation that we can limit the, the spread of any existing pro problems and protect our most valuable animals or most vulnerable animals. One example here is in the springtime during calving, many producers either move cows that haven't calved yet periodically to clean calving grounds, or they move pairs shortly after calving to clean uh, nursery pastures to try to reduce the contact between older and younger animals on the same operation and the transmission of disease from those older cats to the younger cats. So that's an example of kind of managing animal movement uh, within your own operation. And then the last one is sanitation. Here we want to make sure we're doing a good job of cleaning equipment and surfaces before we disinfect, making sure we're using the right disinfectants, um, ideas like using disposable gloves when we're handling sick animals, because washing your hands is hard in wintertime when it's cold, but using uh, things like disposable gloves. So just sanitation practices is, is, is uh, probably the most important one on that list. Right. So we've mentioned herd health, working with your veterinarian to come up with a, a biosecurity plan. How does herd health kind of mesh with biosecurity? Because it sounds like the two are pretty closely entwined. Very closely entwined. Um, a good nutrition and herd health program, including vaccination, really increases herd resistance and resilience to infectious disease. And a good herd health program, more importantly, also allows producers to very quickly identify any changes that might be happening in their herd and indicate the need for action um, or specific disease control measures 
so we can catch little problems before they become big ones and spread throughout the entire herd. That makes sense. Um, so how do we make sure that we are using kind of our vaccines and our herd health practices and our our, our nutrition and mineral program? How are we make how do we make sure that those are effective? Um, do you have some guidelines for kind of matching those to your operation? The, the real trick here is, is certainly talking to other producers in your area and seeing what's working for them, but also working very, very closely with your veterinarian to match what you're doing to your operation to ensure that the, the practices that you're using are going to be most cost effective for you. Uh, you want to make sure that these things are actually making making a difference in animal health and in your bottom line and that they are as convenient and as reasonable and as practical as possible for how you manage your cattle and that's going to differ so much from operation to operation so having that relationship uh, sharing that information and then having ongoing monitoring that you can use to identifying any emerging threats really helps to make sure that what you're doing is the best fit for your operation and is going to work in the long term. All right. For this year, again, specifically, what are some things you would really be watching for in your herd as far as, I don't know, warning signs for nutritional deficiency or, or disease or any of that sort of stuff? One of the, the easiest and best tools that producers can make use of in a year like this, in addition to feed and water testing that we've already mentioned, is body condition scoring. And that's not something that I've mentioned today. If you haven't used it before, it's a very easy tool to pick up. There's some really good guidelines on how to do it and how to interpret it uh, on the Beef Cattle Research Council website and what those numbers actually mean to the bottom line for your herd. But picking out those cows that are having trouble, that are struggling, um, and figuring out how you're going to, to manage them before they get themselves into serious trouble, I think is, is, is absolutely critical. Uh, we're all gonna be struggling to manage our feed supplies this winter. So looking for opportunities to um, catch things before they, before they become a serious problem, I think is, is critical. So in a normal year, um, we certainly use body condition scoring. This is a year where we're going to be doing it a lot more often than we might have been doing it otherwise. And combining that with our with our feed testing and working, you know, in some cases with the nutritionist to try to make the best use of the, what we've got at our disposable, and figuring out how to to manage things if if if, if and when we don't have everything we need. So. You know, what are, what are the cows that we need to, to cull before we get into trouble? Um, what are the ones that we want to perhaps give a little bit of extra special treatment to? Is there ways that we can maybe manage um, our higher risk animals a little bit more separately and, and baby them a little bit more than some of those old girls that you can feed just about anything to and they still get stuck going down the chute? Um, you know, those are some of the things that we, we need to watch for this this winter because um, the girls that do get a little bit on the thin side, they they are more likely to have calving difficulties. Um, those calves are more likely to run into trouble and they're much, much more likely to have trouble rebreeding next year. So there is gonna be long-term 
implications of having things slip through the cracks. Definitely. I was just talking with uh, my coworker here today about how um, most of the bottom line for us cow-calf producers is really just being able to get a live calf on the ground. So it's interesting to hear this, the body condition scoring in relation to that. There's a, certainly, you know, a lot of uh, good wisdom amongst producers that we don't want heifers or cows that are too, too fat because that can certainly contribute to dystocia issues. But the flip side of it is also very, very true. Uh, they don't have to be that much too thin to have the same or more degree of difficulty in both calving and actually, you know, sustaining that, that live calf. So it's definitely something to look at for. Right. That makes good sense. We did have a couple of producers up here that we've talked to um, that have had some vaccine failures in the last couple of years. So are there, are there reasons why um, a vaccine, why, why you might not get as good, as good a, an immunity as you would hope from a vaccination program? Are there things we can do to improve efficacy? We have a lot of really good vaccines uh, for, for beef cattle, and we have a lot of data supporting their effectiveness under Western Canadian conditions. Um, again, your veterinarian can probably provide the best advice on which ones are most needed for a particular herd and likely to be most successful because all of these have different limitations uh, in a particular operation. And none of the vaccines are perfect, uh, but the vaccines are going to be most effective when they're used according to label directions and in healthy cattle under good nutritional status. But that being said, um, one of the classic examples that I have run into is Scours vaccines that um, we have breaks on. And one of the, the example that I used earlier where we were talking about this, you know, the spring snowstorm where you get the cows all crowded up together and uh, suddenly what seems like a really adequately sized calving pasture becomes very, very tiny in a very short period of time. And we've got a bunch of cold stressed animals. Vaccines can be overwhelmed by environmental pressure. They can be overwhelmed when the animals are stressed, um, often by factors that are beyond the control of the producer. So those would be some of the cases that you know, we're, we're most likely to, to see breakdowns. And then some of the vaccines um, are close to 100% effective, but there are some of the vaccines that uh, do make a very real difference, but their effectiveness is more in the 80 to 90% range so that we can, you know, we, we, don't, we don't actually expect them to be 100%. We expect, expect them to make a very real difference, but we we, we know because of the limitations of specifics of the disease itself that they're not going to work 100% of the time. Right, that makes sense. Um, I know you've done some work with um, antimicrobial resistance and that sort of stuff. Um, so can these biosecurity practices and herd health practices and that sort of thing reduce the development of resistant strains of uh, disease? One of the best antimicrobial stewardship um, recommendations is good 
basic biosecurity and infectious disease control. One of the areas where I'm most interested in promoting vaccine use is actually for respiratory disease in calves before weaning. The more fully vaccinated calves we can wean, the less need there's going to be to treat bovine respiratory disease after weaning and in the feedlot. And it, BRD really is the most common reason for injectable antimicrobial use in the feedlot. So by making the best possible use of these BRD vaccines in these calves before they get there, we can reduce the need for BRD treatment and the risk for selecting antimicrobial resistant strains. That's one of the the examples that I like to use that I, I think is probably the most direct connection. That makes sense. Are there things that we can do uh, over and above kind of the standard biosecurity practices, I guess, to protect ourselves from getting resistant strains on the farmer ranch? A good biosecurity program, like we've talked about, really does provide that series of barriers to help protect your animals from infectious agents coming in from the outside and disease spreading within. But talking to your vet about good antimicrobial stewardship practices beyond that is also critical. So for example, as producers, we want to work with our vet to ensure we're using the right antibiotics for the right reason, at the right time, and in the right animals. And that's Things like getting a good diagnosis, having, you know, the right diagnostic tools um, at either your disposal or at the disposal of your of your veterinarian, um, being clear on which diseases actually need antimicrobials and which ones that might not be the best or the only choice for treatment. So by carefully and managing antimicrobial use in our herds, we can actually do a lot to minimize the potential for selection for resistant bugs. That makes sense. Um, when we're having these sorts of conversations about biosecurity and herd health, um, is there anything that you think that producers uh, should know or that we should be talking about more? In the cow-calf industry, we probably haven't talked about as much about this as we, we should have. Uh, the swine industry, the poultry industry, and even the dairy industry to a certain extent is a little little bit of ahead of us on some of these some of these conversations. Uh, we're as cow calf producers especially we're lucky because for the most part we're managing our animals fairly extensively but uh, we still do run into trouble sometime with infectious disease and we still do have opportunities to do better. So sharing um, ideas about how to, um, improve resistance about how to, uh, you know, keep our herds as contained units and minimize the risk of disease coming in from other places, how to minimize the risk of disease moving within our herd if it does get established, and how to just practically keep things clean can make a huge difference in how much uh, infectious disease that we have to deal with. And any producer that's experienced the, you know, the, the strain and stress of a serious scours outbreak is, is certainly going to be a, a very vocal advocate for looking at ways to have that never happen to them again. <laughs> there's, there's nothing quite like having to, 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 to tube, tube calf after calf after calf. And, and uh, you know, it's great to see them they get up and respond, but the, the, the hours of work that it takes to 
to deal with that, especially in inclement weather. It can't, can't be overstated. So um, we don't run into, we're lucky, we don't run into problems very often, but when we do run into problems, they can be pretty pretty dramatic and often under very extreme weather conditions. So it's, it's, it's important that we have these discussions, that we share what is working for us, um, and that uh, we look for, for ways to, to, if we can, to continue to improve. And on that note of continuing to improve and everything, are there any resources you'd like to list or programs you'd like to plug before we finish up here? There's two. Uh, the Beef Cattle uh, Research Council has a website, beefresearch.ca, that I would strongly recommend to producers if they're not there already. Uh, they have regular blogs, producer guidelines, research summaries, fact sheets, and videos that address a lot of these topics and details. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about vaccination or antimicrobial resistance, um, as examples, there's some really good information there. Cattle.ca from the Canadian Cattlemen's Association also has a really good page devoted to biosecurity. A lot of the things that we talked about today and a specific producer handbook in terms of how to get started um, on setting up a, a biosecurity program for your herd. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we kind of wrap up here? No, thank you very much. This is, this is certainly an important issue and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it today. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do the interview. I really appreciate it. No, appreciate the chance to chat. Talk to you soon, hopefully. Bye. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.